0: Boy, wasn't that fun? Don't you just love singing to the Lord? You know, God loves to hear his children sing. Uh, Back in the day when I was a singer, my mama never liked the fact that I became a preacher. She just didn't. Some of y'all thinking, you became a preacher? Question mark. But uh, she crocheted something for me and gave it to me. She said, when preachers get to heaven, they'll be out of a job, but singers will keep going forever. Well, I want to ask you some questions this morning. How exactly is a life built by God? Now, we talk about we're building lives, Church all for Jesus, a life built that honors God. But what does that look like? Is it merely connecting, growing, serving, and sharing, or is there more to that? How do you make a, make a commitment to living all for Jesus, Period. You see, this is the last talk I'm going to give in the book of Ephesians for this series. I'll probably circle back to this again if if y'all are tenacious long enough to put up with me for a period of time. But as we kind of end this, I want to to kind of lean into this. How does this happen? How, How can you see your future living all for Jesus? So I want to talk to you this morning. I want to challenge you with some things about committing to Christ or recommitting to Christ, some thoughts. So let me deal with some concepts, and they're gonna be up on the screen. I want you to contemplate these things, as I said. God is not into your comfort, although he will comfort you. Now, we have a big misconception there, don't we? We think when we come to Jesus, we're supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's been a lie that's been predicated actually over just over the last 120 years or so. That never was a part of Christendom until about the early 1900s. Huh. God is asking you to meet the needs of others, and He will meet your needs. But usually, when we gather in the church, we're all about getting our needs met. I didn't get what I want, what I needed, and we're kind of like two old dogs arguing over the same old bone. God is into your obedience. He's not looking for your permission. When you say yes to Jesus, you surrender your rights to location, vocation, and duration. Can I read that one again? When you say yes to Jesus, you surrender your rights to location, vocation, and duration. Living all for Jesus makes his will your desire, his purpose your priority, and his vision your destiny. Heaven is not the goal of your life, but it's the reward of your life. God's grace justifies you, sanctifies you, glorifies you, and satisfies you. You'll never find the real you apart from surrendering your life to the real Savior, King Jesus. Jesus will give you more than you can handle, but he will never give you more than he can handle. Y'all heard that before. Well, God never give you more than you can handle. He gave us teenagers. Hello. (laughs) Hmm. Jesus gives you what you can never get on your own. He gives you himself. Now, when I sat down and wrote these things a couple of weeks ago, I I sat down and wrote them. I said, you know, I'm going to do one or two things. I'm going to make everybody mad and want to leave. I'm going to make everybody lean in and want to listen. And I hope you'll lean in and listen You see, with all that said, we turn our attention to how Jesus built the life of Paul and how he's building your life because the same way he built Paul, he's building you. Here in the last chapter, we get a glimpse into Paul's heart and we can see the real Paul because we see the real Jesus. Uh, So do you want a glimpse into your heart this morning? Do you want to open it up so you can see your your real self living off of Jesus? Do you want a glimpse? Now we've got a little granddaughter named Lily, and she is a ball of energy. And she is a weatherford, bless God. And Lily is precocious and smart and and just she's amazing. I love that little girl. Of course, I love both of my girls, and so they're very different. Lily was helping me clean the pool back when we owned our other house. And I was opening up the box where I kept all the chemicals. And I closed the box and said, Lily, whatever you do, don't look in that box. Whatever you do, don't look in that box. Then I said, do you want to look at the box? And she goes, "Uh uh-huh. Whatever you do, don't you look at your heart this morning. Do you want to look at your heart? Do you want to look at your heart? So today, let's look at it. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you speak through me. Yeah, that will be my words or my thoughts or even the pattern or way I think. But Father, what you want to do in and for and through us this morning. And I thank you for this, the beauty of this passage. How in this, it seems to be innocuous, kind of post-greeting, you know, kind of winding up the book passage that there's so much richness here. And I pray, Father, we'll harvest that and that we will open up the box of our heart and look inside. And King Jesus, I hope we find you inside because you are all that matters. And we pray this in your son's strong name, amen. You can take your Bible, you can turn with me to Ephesians 6. Uh, and we're gonna be at the end of the chapter. You can follow on the screen as well and you can listen. And uh, somebody asked me what translation I use and the answer is yes. <laughs> I use a plethora of translations. Have y'all figured that out yet? That I'm, Some of y'all trying to, to narrow me down to one and I, I like a bunch of them but I don't know which translation this is, but I'm gonna read it, okay? So y'all follow with me. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Now remember back when I told you what the mystery of the gospel was, that the Gentiles would be included in grace. Now remember in chapter two, God breaks down the wall of racism. He shatters it. And racism was one of the demons that, that uh, actually terrorized the church today. I've heard an evangelist say the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning at 11. Well, that should not be. For this, I'm an ambassador in change, Paul writes, because he was writing from prison. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak as I should. Teclius, our dear beloved, dear a dearly loved brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you all the news about me that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we, we, because Paul was surrounded by several, how we are and encourage your hearts. Do you know who the pastor of Ephesus was? Timothy. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus, Paul's beloved son in the ministry. And So Timothy was obviously uh, wanting to know how Paul was and technically he came and, and shared that. Peace to, to the brothers with love and faith from God the Father and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this last. Grace be with all who have an undying love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, grace to all who have an undying love for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. So Here's some thoughts I want you to hold on to and some thoughts I want to encourage you with this morning. Paul had a clear perspective of life. From the very stoning of Stephen, when he stood and watched as a Pharisee, now get this, I'm going to kind of explain this a little bit. Paul was a Pharisee. That means he was, belonged to a, a sect of Judaism, S-E-C-T, a sect of Judaism that believed in the mystical manifestations of God. They believed in angels and demons and seeing visions and those kind of things. The Sadducees, the other sect, did not believe that. They were the the, the kind that, they didn't even believe in the afterlife. They were Sadducee. Got that? And so Paul being a Pharisee, he's watching Stephen be stoned. He sees the manifestation of the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He sees this. He's watching Stephen. He's thinking to himself, something's up here. Now, you don't see him convert at that, at that vision. He doesn't. You don't see him convert. But you see him convert later in another mystical vision on the Damascus Road. In fact, that vision propelled him further. But I want to tell you something. Often, 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 God is using your rebellion to draw you to himself. What? Absolutely. Your stupidity can be God's pathway to your salvation. Nobody said amen. Y'all just stared at me. Because God can use all things for his glory. And from the stoning of Stephen to the Damascus road of, of experience, Paul was in the process of God revealing to him and clearing his perspective. Listen to what he writes to the church of Philippi. But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth. The Greek word there is the Greek word for excrement. Poop. I consider them poop. Y'all going, I just came to church here to preach say poop. Three times? Yes so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from, my, from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And the same, pros- the same process of perspective clarity God is using in Paul, he's using in you. Paul understood his assignment Do you. You think, I think this is a great fallacy that as a pastor I've done over the years. I've expected you to show up and listen to me pontificate and throw some money in the plate and leave. And that's the way you've been discipled. And y'all, that goes back to what that word Paul used about rubbish or filth. Because it's not true. What if we decided that instead of showing up to a gathering, Jesus would show up in us every day that we live. Jesus would show up at HEB or at the gas station or dealing with the contractor who's building your house. What if Jesus showed up when you're speaking kind words to your wife when you cannot find the iron to iron your shirt on a Sunday morning? What if Jesus showed up? What if Jesus showed up in your parenting? What if Jesus showed up in your finances? What if Jesus showed up in you realizing that you're on a mission from God? What if Jesus showed up in that? See, a clear perspective is often forged in this way. I want you to write these things down. A clear perspective is also is often formed in the fires of adversity. There's nothing like a little pain that gets your attention. I've been having physical therapy performed on my knees, and it's really been effective. It's working, but it feels so good when she quits pulling on my leg. I don't know if it's making me better or if I'm just relieved when it stops. But pain is a great teacher. It's through, it's through revelation, revelation of God's word. I'll tell you if, you, if you say, well, I'm not hearing from God, are you spending time in his word? Because if you spend time in his word, you're going to hear from God. You're going to hear from him. He's going to jump out scripture today. He's going to speak to you. You need to hide some of it in your heart because when you don't have the leather-bound copy, that you can have it in your heart. I heard a preacher said not long ago said, I don't allow one of these in the pulpit. We only use the leather-bound copy. And I thought, hmm. I think it's probably more important to have that in your heart than in a page. Whether it's electronic or leather-bound, it really doesn't matter, I think. If it's on your phone, use your phone. But it's about the power of God's Word, not the platform of God's Word. It's revealed through relationships. That the perspective of living a godly life is revealed through relationships. It's revealed through prayer. Your prayers and Prayers that are prayed for you. I used this last week in the group material, the old Ricky Skagg song. Somebody's praying, Lord, I feel it. Somebody's praying for me. And the prayers of righteous people accomplishes a lot, according to James. I remember one night I came home late from college I was in college, and I was out about spreading the gospel. I walked into my house, and my mama, my sweet mama, was on her knees praying for me. And I thought, this is what I thought, she staged that. She's setting me up. She heard me drive up in the driveway. She got on her knees and started lofting, just lifting up holy, hot prayers for me. Then she said, Scott, I didn't see you come in. Yeah. Whatever, mama. But you know what? I remember that. My sweet mama praying for me. My daddy praying for me. My precious wife praying for me. My children pray for me. Many of you pray for me. I wish more of you would because I need it and you need to practice. (laughs) The prayers of a righteous group of people accomplish much. Your perspective becomes clear the longer we follow Jesus, your clarity of Christ should become clear, not your preferences become dearer. Oh. Hmm. You can see this understanding, looking at the life of Paul, you can see Paul's understanding growing. If you trace Paul's writings from 1 Thessalonians, the first book he wrote, and you trace it all the way through Romans, you see Paul growing, growing growing in his theology. Paul did not become Paul on the Damascus road. Paul became Paul when God ushered him into glory. And he's still working on you. I love that about God. You see, your heart grows bigger and your will grows smaller as you gain the perspective of King Jesus. Let me give that to you again. Did y'all get that? Your heart, your okay, I'm gonna read it again. Your heart grows bigger and your will grows smaller as you gain the perspective of King Jesus. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Andrew Murray said this, your whole world is in your heart. Here's the question I wanna ask, who's in your heart? Whatever you do, don't look in your heart. Whatever you do, don't look look in your heart. Who's in your heart? I wrote this, a cloudy heart leads to a confused mind. And King David said this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Hmm. You see, Paul didn't allow circumstances to define him. He didn't. Paul had every reason to live defeated, but he didn't. Paul was in prison in Rome. I mean, good night. Paul starts listing out all the things that happened to him. Been beaten, been stoned, been left for dead, been persecuted, been hungry, been well fed, been naked, been clothed, been shipwrecked, been snake bit, been incarcerated, been let out of incarceration. Paul had, Paul had a rap sheet as long as your leg been the persecutor of the church, been the, the savior, uh, the one who proclaimed salvation to the Gentiles. Paul, Paul had, had a kind of every circumstances. And Paul saw his incarceration as an opportunity, not a burden. Go back up to what we read earlier. I'll we'll read it again. He said, for this, I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm an ambassador in chains. That Paul didn't look at his incarceration as a sentence, He looked at it as an opportunity. I don't think Paul would have time to write all the epistles he wrote had he not been incarcerated. Sometimes God has to stop you in order to get you what you're supposed to do. Hmm. We have a choice then to look at the circumstances of our lives to do one or two things. I want you to listen to me, do one or two things. We can waller in our misery or we can worship our Savior. We can waller. Y'all know what waller is? That's a Texas word, isn't it? We can waller in our misery or we can worship our Savior because God is busy working in, for, and through us. God sends circumstances into our lives to refine us, not define us. Now, that ought to got an amen, too. Y'all are looking at me this morning like, what in the world's gotten into him? Well, it's not what, it's who. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on, in my own flesh, that means fruitful work for me. But, and, and if I don't, which, which one should I choose? I'm pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Jesus or to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all for you of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come again to you. Paul is writing this again from jail and Paul eventually was beheaded for the cause of Christ. He did not let his circumstances define him. He let them refine him. And here's some thoughts I want to throw out to you. That truly, when Christ is working in you, your mess becomes his message. Your misery becomes your ministry. And these are more than just phrases that I throw out that sound onomatopoetic. These are phrases that are true. Some things cause things to happen. And this God is control of some things. He's in control of some things. Now, some things happen because we cause them, right? And some things happen because we live in a fallen, broken world. I am reminded of our fallen, broken world as I watch our political landscape unfold before us. And what this nation needs is not a president, but a pastor. Weatherford 2020, okay. (laughs) Why in the world would I take such a demotion from being your pastor to being president of the United States. Why would I ever step down from that lofty goal? I'm serious, y'all. God uses all things for his glory and our good. When you allow God to shape you into what he desires, then you become the person that he's intended you to become. And he's using all those things listed before. Here's the next thing I want you to hold on to. Are y'all with me so far? Paul was surrounded by trusted friends. That's why he gave us the church, y'all. Church is not something that you attend. Church is a people to which you belong. That's why he gave us each other. Church is not the arranging of pews, but it's the gathering of lives. That's what church is. People come to Jesus best under the arm of a trusted friend, and people become like Jesus best in biblical community. That's why I talk to you about being in a group. You need a group. You need a group. You need a group. You need a group. Uh, We've gone from 18 groups to 63 groups in the last three years. Because you need a group. We got all kinds of groups. We got women's groups and men's groups and couples groups and singles groups and and divorce groups and and crazy groups and sane groups. We got all kinds of groups. I mean, if if you look, we got a group for you. If you go to a group and you don't like it, go to another one. Our leaders know that. You're welcome to shop around. It's okay. It's okay. Find a home for your heart. Find for the people. Your community is an extension of your devotion. Oh. Your trusted friends will tell you the truth about you and Jesus. I have a statement I use with our leaders. I say this all the time and I'll say it to you. You could tell me anything you want to about me as long as I know you love me. If you don't love me, keep your pie hole shut. I don't want to hear it. But if you love me, I'll listen to you. But you know what? I'm, I have the right to say the same thing back to you, right? Huh. I, I remember I, I was pastor of church and a guy came over before me and said, Pastor, I'm going to hold you accountable. I said, great, I'm going to hold you accountable. He what? Because accountability is a two-way street, isn't it? Yeah. And if we hold each other, not accountable, but hold each other up to Christ, maybe Christ will hold us accountable to one another. Hmm. I talked to you about groups, and it's not just to fill up a program. Y'all, I don't get accolades or raises from the Southern Baptist Convention for anything, much less for filling up programs. It gives you the opportunity to live off for Jesus with others. Let me talk to you about it. God puts you in a group with other believers to extend your understanding. To extend your understanding. And God puts you in groups with others to extend your compassion. Understanding should lead to compassion. Huh. Ann Voskamp said this. She's a Canadian girl and I like what she says. People don't have to be good to deserve our compassion. It's compassion that serves all people. Then in group, I can leverage my experiences for God's glory and extend people's understanding. I can also fulfill the one another's of scripture if I'm connected in a biblical community. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. I can do those things when I'm in community. But I can't when I'm on isolation. You can't do it in a group this big. You need a group. Here's the last thing. Now, don't get excited. I'm not going to quit in 20 minutes, y'all. I might. You never know. Paul shared grace freely. I love this about Paul. Now, get this. This is crazy. It's crazy. Paul went being from being the legalist of legalists, I mean, narrow minded, law abiding rigid, 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 to saying grace. Y'all ever notice some churches that are named grace, there's no grace in them? Y'all ever notice that? I don't think I ever want to name a church grace because it just usually just kills grace right there. Just legalism, legalism, legalism. Y'all want to talk about keep rules? You know, I grew up Southern Baptist, I still am, you know, where you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't dance, you don't chew, you don't go with women who do, Right? but you will gossip and you will practice gluttony because I'm against sin except for the ones I like. Are y'all with me? And it's all about legalism, 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 legalism when Jesus is all about grace. Now that doesn't lead to antinomianism. What? That means lawlessness. That's what it means in Greek. Doing what you want to when you want to because you want to and then asking God to forgive you because you've done what you wanted to when you wanted to, and you're gonna use this grace card to get yourself out of the stupid you just did? It's not that. It's having this deep abiding conviction that everything I am and everything I do and everything I say needs to be like Christ and not like me. And it's the transformation of my heart that transforms my mouth, that transforms my hands, that directs my feet because my mind is renewed to be like Jesus, then I'm not keeping rules. I'm loving a savior. I'm loving a savior. Hmm. And Paul lavished grace on people because legalism had lost its grip on him. Pharisaicalism lost its grip on him. The law had lost its grip on Paul. And grace had firmly tied himself to Paul. And notice I just personified grace because grace is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that undying love. That's an awesome phrase. When I was studying this passage and writing this a couple of weeks ago, I was writing this out and I saw that grace, grace to all love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love, it just jumped out at me. Undying love. You know, because one day I'm going to die, but because of grace, I will never die. I will live. Jesus said to Martha at Lazarus' grave, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me, who lives and believes in me, will live even if he dies. Do you believe this? We did a funeral service this past Friday for a dear brother, Todd Molan who, man, he was so faithful here. He was a weed eater. But more important than being a weed eater, he was a servant of King Jesus. And the King Jesus who lived in his heart was manifest in his servant attitude by pouring coffee and eating and cutting weeds and doing whatever he could to build up others because it wasn't Todd who did that. It was Christ in Todd who did that and it was easy to talk about him at his homegoing because he's not dead he's alive wow undying love and we're held by an undying love an undying love hmm. in my imperfection as a man I say to Tara, I'm always going to love you. I'm never going to stop loving you. And I'm a broken man. And if I can say that to her because I am held by an undying love. I say to my kids, no matter what you do, where you go, what you become, your daddy's always going to love you because I'm held by an undying love. I will tell you this as your pastor. I will love you, most of you. I'm going to love you (laughs) with an undying love. Why? Because I'm held by an undying love. What if you started living that way, held by an undying love, you become an undying lover? 100 years from now, nobody will remember me, but they may remember love because of me. When little Johnny Weinbrenner was 15 years old, I said, buddy, I'm gonna love you till I'm dead. After that, you're on your own. But you know what? That's not true. Because I'm gonna love you even then. Because we're held by an undying love. Wow. So do you want to glimpse it into your heart? Whatever you do, don't look in your heart. Do look in your heart? You see, Paul ends it this way. He says, "I want you to see the real you, and the real you is found in a real Savior, living all for him." It's not found in your allegiance? It's not found in your politics. It's not found in your bank account. It's not found in your circumstances. It's found in your Savior. And I want you to see the real you. And see real Jesus.